The big question that every writer has is, how can I sell more books? Or if they're not published yet, it's how can I write books that sell? But when writers approach selling books from a numbers perspective, they're missing out on the amazing relationships they could be building with readers through their stories. It's impossible to write books that resonate with readers when you're writing for money, because money can't read. But shouldn't writers be able to make a living with their stories? Well, when you connect with human souls, readers turn into fans and friends, and that's when consistent income begins. That and so much more. But how do writers connect with readers? That is the question this podcast aims to answer. My name is Kristen Spencer, and this is the Expensive Words Podcast. Today, I want to talk about a book written by James Clear, and it's called Atomic Habits, Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results, An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones. This... (laughs) First of all, I just want to say it's interesting that this book has, uh, you know, <laughs> two subtitles, which is kind of a cheat that James Clear is using here. Uh, and I, I don't want to call this a review because it's taken me basically since December when I got this book as a gift to find time here and there to read little uh, snippets of it. And as James Clear writes this book, he goes through and it's, it's a really good example of how storytelling can be used in nonfiction to create an information sandwich. And this is something that uh, Malcolm Gladwell does as well. And James Clear, uh, he utilizes this idea perfectly over and over again in his book. And you can tell that he likes sports because he uses so many sports stories, which I don't mind. I also love sports. I can't participate in them anymore. Uh, but I used to be, I, I did sports basically my whole life up until college when I was on the crew team, uh, which is also known as rowing. And I hurt my knee, or so I thought, and I found out that it was really a genetic predisposition that I inherited from my mom's side of the family, which could not be fixed with normal type of surgery and physical therapy. And so I had one surgery. Uh, It didn't really work. I tried physical therapy for a year after that. And then they said, well, the the only way we're really going to fix this so that you can run again, so that you can row again, is if we break your leg and restructure all your muscles and you won't be able to walk for six months. And I was like, hmm, how about we just don't do that? And I live with chronic pain. That sounds <laughs> sounds a little more appealing than going through all of that. Uh, and so I do have chronic pain every day. And if you have chronic pain, you know that it can be exhausting. I don't know why I shared all of that, but I guess to <laughs> just to say I understand and can relate to the illustrations that James Clear uses. And his first story is a very personal one about how he wanted to become an excellent baseball player. And I love baseball, so I was pretty excited about that. And his story is very compelling and tragic in that he gets severely injured and he's 
he's not really able to come back from that. But in in his, in his journey, he starts to discover that he can control what habits he is able to make and break, and it becomes his life passion. So, you know, I would say that it doesn't seem like he has very many regrets about his baseball career being derailed because he's a very eloquent uh, public speaker. He's an excellent writer, and I found his book to be pretty darn inspiring but today I wanted to talk about just one aspect of the book. If you haven't read it, Atomic Habits, you know, it's one that you should add to your list. It's a really great uh, nonfiction book. And if you're interested in storytelling within nonfiction, like I said, he does a great job of that where he gives you a story. Oh, yeah, the story, the nonfiction story information sandwich. So an author will give you a story. That's an example. And then they will go ahead and introduce uh, a principle that's related to the story, and then they'll tell you how it's related to the story. And this creates better information retention because when you are able to relate information to your life or to someone else's life in a practical way, uh, it gives you a better understanding and a longer, you remember it better, which is retention. Uh, so, that's an excellent thing to do if you're writing nonfiction. Right now, Maria and I are writing a book about how to write nonfiction, and that that information sandwich and story sandwich is definitely going to be in there. Maybe we'll think of a little bit more clever name for it, but I really love sandwiches, so I would be fine if we kept that. So uh, towards the end of the book, he talks about something called the Goldilocks rule, and it's basically the idea that you want to engage both parts of your brain at the same time by having something that you can actually complete, but that is just challenging enough that your brain sees it as something new. So, uh, for example, if you're writing, you have to get to the point where writing is something that you feel you can do, and then you add a 5% difficulty onto it to make your brain go into that Goldilocks zone where your motivation is kicked into overdrive. And as a not-so-subtle giant footnote, uh, James Clear writes in here that he has a pet theory about the Goldilocks zone and flow state, which he says that he believes that in flow state, which is when you're in this Goldilocks zone and you, you know, we, we say in the zone. Uh, that's when we feel like we're actually accomplishing work that's hard and fulfilling, but at a, a considerably fast rate. You know that feeling when you're doing the thing that you know you were like you were made to do, and you are actually doing it well, you're just in the zone. And so that's what he's talking about. But his pet theory is that there are two systems in the brain and that when you get into this Goldilocks zone, you're using both si both systems at the same time uh, because system one is instinctual. System one has to do with things that are automatic, while system two uh, controls thinking processes, this is what he said, controls thinking processes that are more effortful and slow like calculating an answer to a difficult math problem. And so he says that when you're in 
when you're in that flow, you're operating both systems at the same time because some of it can be done automatically. And then that 5% added difficulty, that is operating at the same time. I will say that my big problem with this book is actually a little problem, but it's the fact that he tries to use effort as an adjective, effortful. And effort is a verb. And when you do that, I was like, it's like a zombie noun, but it's not a noun. So, but he, you strip the word effort of all of its power. I don't think it's worth it to try to make it into a word. I would rather see a phrase where something takes more effort. That That's fine for me. That's not strange in my brain and it keeps the sentence in a powerful position. So that was my uh, that was my only big complaint, which like I said is a small complaint about this book. Um, but so he talks about the Goldilocks zone and how to stay focused when you're working on your goals. And he talked to this uh, coach who had um, you know worked with athletes who, some of them went to become Olympians. And, you know, he told, he's like, what's the difference? James Clare asked this coach, what's the difference? And the, the thing that surprised him about the coach's answer was that, you know, there are people who will decide that they're okay being bored. And that shocked him because he didn't think about that. But when you're training, for a sport, you do basically the same types of things every day or every other day, and that can get boring, but you have to keep doing it if you want to increase your athletic ability and your body's uh, ability to get faster and stronger. And I thought about you, because you're a writer, and I thought about me, because I'm a writer, And, you know, there are those parts of writing that feel very boring. Uh, For example, filling out my character worksheets. I love my character worksheets, and I use them a lot. But at some point, I don't get excited about what's on them anymore. To me, it's like, okay, I already know that stuff. Of course, I have to reference this worksheet again, or maybe I'm making a character worksheet for a 2D character that I don't particularly like. Well, I pretty much like all of my characters because I make them complicated, which to me is interesting. Even if you're evil and you're complicated, that's interesting. Uh, But it's not the most exciting thing to create a character profile all the time, but that's something that you have to do. And it's not always the most exciting thing to sit down and get a thousand words out Sometimes it feels boring. And that's why, you know, you need to add that 5% in to create the difficulties that challenge your brain so that you can be in the Goldilocks zone. But sometimes your job is boring. And if you're a writer, that means that sometimes writing is boring. But the people who persevere, which is what the coach was saying, and can do these boring aspects of whatever task they're, they're working toward... They are the ones who will succeed. And that's the same idea that we have to have when we go into writing a book, because guess what? I'm going to pop a big bubble for you. I'm going to burst your bubble if you haven't written a book yet. There will be times when you are writing that you are bored and you don't like it. 
And that is just the reality of writing a book because books are long. <laughs> They're big projects. They uh, can be anywhere, you know, a, a novel is considered 40,000 words. But like right now, the project that I'm working on is 75,000 words. And that's a lot of words. Those, those words sometimes become tiresome to my brain. And I get tired of sitting and making words come out. And that's my whole job. So I was thinking about the idea of athletes doing exercises every day. And as writers, we do those exercises, you know, writing exercises every day when we're writing a book because we say, okay, this is the character's goal in the scene. This is what needs to happen before the next chapter can start, et cetera, et cetera. I need to make the things connect. And that's our job. And it doesn't always feel so glamorous or wonderful. And a lot of us will wait for that delayed, super delayed gratification sometimes, right, depending on how long the project takes. So I think that's why, personally, I always try to finish books as quickly as possible because I know that the longer that I work on it, the less exciting it will be for me. But when I was first, when I was first writing, I didn't have the ability to write a novel as quickly as I do now. And so it would just feel boring and torturous at some points. But the thing is, if you can get through that, you will be able to write faster and you will be able to do the parts that you find boring more quickly. And that means you can get to the parts that you like more quickly. So this is a really interesting concept. Can you allow yourself to be bored? And I think that's something that is kind of lacking in our society today. Sometimes my kids will say to me, I'm bored. And I'm like, well, good. Good. It means you're learning how to wait. It means you're learning patience. And also you're choosing to be bored because my husband and I have provided them with so many fun things. They have like a Lego building table. They have, they have an arcade in the game room. They have lots of board games. They have video games. Uh, we have all kinds of art supplies. I'm sure you can imagine this. <laughs> but my house is full of all different kinds of books for all different reading levels in uh, basically every different genre aside from horror because I don't like horror personally and I don't want my kids reading horror yet. I mean, probably if my 13-year-old was interested in it, I would let her, but uh, she's not yet. So there is a reason that they're bored and that's because they're choosing to be bored. And I'm actually fine with that because I think it builds character and it gives us a different set of skills that we're not used to, especially now that we have these like mini uh, technology machines with us everywhere where we can decide that we're going to passively interact with media constantly so that we don't need to feel bored. And I feel like social media is, is that. It's not really the way to create meaningful relationships. So it, it just gives us the impression that we're connecting with people, which is a whole other set of problems. But I just think that if you can learn to be okay with being bored, which is what James Clear suggests that we should be able to do, then you'll be a lot better off as a writer. I'm not saying you should write boring things because you shouldn't. That's a good way to lose the reader. 
Uh, however, there are different parts of the writing process that will feel boring, and that's okay, and that's something that that needs to be embraced so that you can do the things that you know you should do. Uh, some people find research, for example, if you write nonfiction, they find research to be excruciating. For me, I, I love researching. I'm sure that doesn't surprise you because I love learning. And to me, researching is just learning. And then I get to use that information in an information sandwich for you or for my reader so that they can learn something and they can learn how to do something. So that's what I aim to do. So research is exciting for me, but uh, I would say that things like creating audio narration scripts, that to me is extremely boring. However, when I get that finished and I have the book narrated, I have another form of passive income, which is not boring to me. And also I know that there are people who prefer audiobooks and I'd like to read those listeners, aka readers, as well. So I do it. I'm bored and I'm formatting all the stuff that I've previously formatted into a book, into a Word document, and then I create a PDF that I can read off my iPad and also write on because I write myself notes and I find the last little bits of mistakes if there are any. And that process is not fun. I don't particularly enjoy it but I, I enjoy the results of it. And I think that's what uh, James Clear is talking about, that we do these boring tasks because we want the end result. And that's what I'm trying to do with audiobook narration. And maybe part of writing feels that way for you. And that's okay. It's okay to be bored. It's okay not to love every part of the writing process. However, if you want the end result, you have to be willing to be bored sometimes. And I think that that's a valuable lesson that we can all take, not only for the writing aspect of our lives, but for all aspects as we're going forward and growing as human people. This has been Kristen on the Expensive Words podcast, pouring out my heart for you, my wonderful listener. If there's any question you want to ask me, if there's anything you want to tell me, you can go to expensivewords.com or you can find me on Instagram at kristen.n.spencer and I would love to hear your wonderful writing thoughts from your amazing writing brain. Happy writing. <laughs>